0: Hi, guys, and welcome to this edition of How to Wow, starring the gut doctor, Dr. Megan Rossi, and brought to you by MS Plant Kitchen. M&S Plant Kitchen launched in 2019 when their first vegan friendly range took the meat free world by storm. Exactly. And now, my friends, there are 100 plant kitchen products to choose from, which is excellent news for my family. As back in March, my wife, Tequila Tash, and I decided to go all in plant-based. We were in Los Angeles running our very own made-up marathon as we were due to run the Tokyo Marathon, which was cancelled due to, well, you know what. But we'd done the training, I'd booked the time off work, and we had arranged, we had arranged extensive international child care. You see, the thing is, eating plant-based in California has traditionally been much more of a thing than here in the UK. But that's all changing, and changing at a pace. Da da da! Introducing the M and S Plant Kitchen. No chicken nuggets. They look like chicken. They smell like chicken. They're finger licking like chicken, and they taste like chicken. At least as far as I can remember. It's been a while. But hey, don't take my word for it. Cut to my second eldest son, Eli, in the Evans plant kitchen. Eli, what's going on with the no chicken nuggets?
1: Oh, they look like chicken. They smell like chicken. And they taste like chicken. Oh, they must be chicken. Oh, no, they're not chicken.
0: Told ya. And he's had actual chicken a lot more recently than me. But that story's for another day. Sticking with the no chuck chuck chicken now, there's also the delicious, and I mean, Mouth-meltingly delicious, no chicken Kiev. MS Plant Kitchen's most successful vegan launch ever, with one being sold every four minutes. There's probably one outside your window right now. Take a look. Largely because of their indulgent garlic filling waiting to explode in your mouth underneath that coating of crunchy golden breadcrumbs. I want one now. And then there's the kitty's favourite Plant Kitchen Cauliflower Popcorn, which we paid our kids in to do this. Plant Kitchen! Plant Kitchen! I think it could be a hit. Other scrummy treats include PK Posh Hot Dogs, PK Green Thai Curry, and the to die for PK Coleslaw Salad, the first ever vegan coleslaw to hit supermarket shelves in the UK. Wow! Talking of wow, it's time now to how to wow. Thank you, MNS Plant Kitchen, for helping make this show happen. Megan the vegan, or not? Yes or no?
1: No. No. Absolutely not. It's such a myth that you have to be a vegan to have good gut health. It really is. It's more about what you include in your diet than you exclude.
0: Alright, okay. Um, how was Bath?
1: It was beautiful. I literally ate my body weight in all different cuisines. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing. I loved it.
0: Well, well, give us some highlights if people are listening around the world and they want to go to Bath. First of all, Bath is a an ancient um, uh, what, ruins, small to, no, small town. Th- thing? Th- there's a name for it, isn't it? It's a famous Bath is a famous spa town, is what it is. It it's is. a spa. Did you go to the spa?
1: I couldn't because of a certain reason, which we'll talk about. Offline <laughs> See,
0: She's so funny Megan Because we've met a few times now haven't we And um, we, both, we get on very well And we're support, hopefully supportive of each other uh, And you did this thing and, and it's not fair It's not fair on me what you did You tell me something outside And you said but we can't talk about it on the podcast <laughs> Don't do that
1: why not? We've got, a, we've got a you know a friendship that I want to share offline. Is that not okay in it, this world?
0: It's, yeah, but it's so exciting, and it's like yeah, this is like a minute, maybe two minutes ago. Now I'm thinking, what do I do with that? I was ready for this whole interview, this chat, and it's like then you introduce this this tangent. It's a it's a brilliant attack. It's a, more of a vector, <laughs> more of a vector than we're I mean, nearly there now. But it's more of a vector, and you think, but and you you so so gleeful and exalting of it and celebration. And, uh, and then I asked you a few questions and you said, yeah, this and that. And then oh, what about this? Oh, well, that's that. And I went, oh, fantastic. This is amazing. This is going to be the best podcast ever. He said, well, we can't talk about it.
1: <laughs> time. In time, Chris, you can share it with the world. Okay. All right. okay. <laughs> but yes, bath, amazing food. There were just so many different <laughs> Back to things. Bath. Yeah, I'll keep you Yeah, I'll keep you on track. You can rely on me for that one.
0: All right. So for people who don't know who you are, um, uh, the 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 three tenets, the three big sort of characteristics, you know, of your makeup are: first of all, you were brought up on a farm, so you have this connection with the earth and with whole food, um, uh, plant-based products, and, and beautifully sustainably um, cultivated meat. Uh, you also um, you are also Italian, so you have this passion for food, and you love all that, and then you love that familiar community. And the third really important thing in your in your formative years, was the fact that your nan got ill, and yeah. uh, she she suffered with something that you you later thought, well, maybe maybe more we can find out more about that, and that was with her gut because she she was a victim of colon cancer. Yeah, and so that, so that's sort of where you come from, right? Um, you know that. Sorry, that's where she comes from, right? And and so so those three things they sort of came together. And at what age did you think you might move into to the field you're an expert? and as we sit here today?
1: You know, I, I've just always really been into food, like you've said, and my mum was actually a science teacher, so I combined those two together. So when I went to the career counsellor when I was, what, 16, they were like, sounds like you should be a dietitian. I thought, well, yeah, food, science, what's what's not to love? So then I started um, uni in. I moved away from the farm um, into a big city, which is obviously very small comparative to London, um, where I started studying nutrition and dietetics, and that's when I was like, yeah. I love this area. It's really, I I thought at one stage I might want to do medicine, but I felt with dietetics you were able to really bring the power of food. And, you know, we've seen for centuries that what people eat really can improve their health and happiness. But actually it was then, you know, when I lost my grandma and, and she had a huge part of my upbringing, so it really hit me hard where I started to ask more questions, more than what I was learning at uni. I thought, what is it about the gut? Like, we don't really understand that much. Like, you know, in in our lectures, it was about digestion and maybe a bit of bacteria, but that was it. And then, you know, I started working as a clinical dietitian. So in the hospital setting, once I graduated, um, with really quite sick people, whether they had kidney disease, mental health issues, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and... You know, one of the things they're all complaining to me about was this organ, the gut. And I thought, God, what is like haunting me? I hated the gut initially. So I thought, you know what? I, I owe it to my grandma um, and my patients to try get to the bottom of it, to try understand why all these people, even if they didn't have the disease in their gut, were complaining of gut issues. So that's when I decided to, you know, throw away my early 20s to do a PhD in the area. Um and really try to understand whether whether we nourish the gut through the right nutrition, whether in turn that can improve the health of other organs. And, you know, it was during my PhD, I still yeah, clearly remember, it just it changed everything for me. Like that, that hatred that I had towards the gut as I watched my grandma suffer with the bowel removal, the chemo, all that sort of stuff, just completely changed to admiration for the gut and even feeling empowered by it, if we understood it we really could improve our health and happiness. These microbes are going to look after us.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, on the farm, uh, just just tell us about your farm, first of all. Then tell us about this small town that you went to, Union. Just give us a bit more colour, a bit yeah, more yeah, background.
1: Yeah. yeah, so I was on the farm with my cousins, my aunties and uncles. We all had kind of like, we had different houses. We didn't house share. <laughs> um, but at the centre of the farm was my Nena and nunu's house. And I think, you know, that was my big love of food well where my big love of food came from because you know my nana used to make the pasta and the sponge cakes and so we all all my cousins and i used to go to nana's house to eat together so it was a beautiful flavors but also that community feel and you know we always used to do fishing and all that sort of stuff and, you know, being in London is obviously hugely contrasting um, but I wouldn't change that upbringing for the world and although I had no conscious, you know, understanding of the gut at that point in time, my upbringing, now we understanding, was very much in line with, with good gut health, you know, playing in the dirt and we actually see people who grew up on the farm uh, are actually a much lower risk of things like autoimmune conditions and allergies. Because
0: they do um, say, you know, if you get a fresh veg from a farm shop and there's a bit of dirt on it, you don't really need to wash it off. It's, it might be actually better for you than not so good for you.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. We should be getting dirty. and And other things <laughs> when it comes to, you know... Fresh fruit and veg, if they've got like some bruises on it, actually they've got more of these things called polyphenols, which feed our good gut bacteria. So we shouldn't be, you know, searching for the perfect apple without any bruises or that's super sweet. We should actually be going to the farmers markets and getting the ones which don't look perfect because they're actually probably better for us.
0: Well, I know you talk about this. I've read about this um, in in things you've written before. Sometimes the gnarlier a fruit or a vegetable looks, the tougher it had to, its upbringing was, and the stronger it had to become to survive. And that's in that. So if you, if you look at a gnarly fr- a potato or something that's a bit bent and a bit out of shape and maybe a couple of novels where there shouldn't be any, go for that. Don't go for the gorgeous things.
1: Yeah, it's had to struggle, and that struggle produces these beneficial chemicals. And that's
0: real, that's a real thing. Yeah. So so how might that be? How might that manifest itself? Yeah. How might how might a carrots struggle benefit a human being? Yeah.
1: So during the struggle it produces these different chemicals, and we call them phytochemicals. Right. Um to protect itself, you know, whether it's got bugs trying to eat it, so it's kind of the resistance. And then in turn, that's not only protecting the, the fruit and veg to survive, but when we eat it, these phytochemicals and there's literally actually tens of thousands of them that a lot of them we haven't even isolated are actually doing things like helping ourselves, you know, protect them from these di- different damages. We call them like free radicals that are in our body when, you know, we are exposed to pollution or, you know, we eat really high, you know, fatty foods and sugar foods and don't feed our body with things like the dietary fibre. So, yeah, that, it, it's quite remarkable in terms of the fact that, yeah, these these chemicals that are produced through struggle are not only protecting the vegetables, but in turn they're protecting us.
0: Yeah, so if you get a character that's had a five-star field upbringing, you know, if you can sort of pass over that to somebody who's had to, to sort of rough it in their gap year from a vegetable point of view, that's who you want to go for. Absolutely, I love it. I love that. <laughs> and so, you know, as a dad of two daughters, you know, you, you seem like you're the dream daughter. You seem like you're the dream child. You know, you're on the farm. You love your nan. You, you're you part of the ga- the gang, the community. You know, um it, that's all. That's all good to go. But when, when you get to sixteen, you know, most mum and dads are hiding on the sofa thinking, "What will Megan choose to do with her life?" You go, "Don't worry, I just want to be. I, I want to be into dietetics." Uh, <laughs> and you're like. Phew. You know, how come your parents have been blessed with such a model child?
1: Oh, I would I would not say that. If you ask my mum, she would certainly not say that. I'm very stubborn and very... um. Yeah. If I want something, I'm going to go after it. But there are worse things to be on there, for heaven's (laughs) sake. It is true. But my mum was actually a single um, working mum. So she, I think, instilled my work ethic in me. So, you know, from my memory, I I felt like I had an amazing childhood. But actually, you know, if we reflect on it, you know, we lost my sister when she was five. Um, You know, my dad left and all those sorts of things. So I think that probably did shape my outlook on life and like the the focus that if you really want something, you just have to work for it and you yeah. can go get it. And, you know, my cousins, um, you know, none of them actually went to university. So it was not really something in the stars for me. It was just that I, you know, as I started to get older, I I just started to want more. And, you know, I I didn't want to ever go overseas. Like that was not even something I thought about. But... I knew I wanted to help others. I knew I wanted to, you know, rise above and just not be kind of mundane and kind of complain about what's happened to me in my life and things like that.
0: It's interesting you say that because talking to more and more people over the years, you, there, there is this, there is this uh, traumatic narrative, you know, and often the people, you know, whose trauma it is, don't realise um, maybe until even the conversation that we have or at least, you know, not until they 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 They're quite advanced in years um that that they, they had it bad because it's something that really it often passes the person by who is the victim of it victim subject you know whatever um and they don't realize it and it's that's quite interesting isn't it and as as you get out into the real world, whatever that means, you know it you do have this built in resilience that other people sometimes can't cope with and you're not aware of, and that's a bit of a lethal combination as well because you don't realise you can rub people up the wrong way purely because y- you have more fortitude than maybe they're used to um, because you're the gnarly vegetable.
1: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I get that. But I, I also, I don't know, I don't, I never feel like a victim. I think like my mom and my older brother kind of protected me from a lot of that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I am i I understand what you're saying. If you, if you have that perfect upbringing, if you're the perfect vegetable, yeah. sometimes you don't necessarily have those resilient skills yeah. that you need in life to really push hard.
0: And, and do, you, do, you, do you still, now that you're aware of that, because you are aware of that, uh, do, do, you, do you feel like they still run as deep? Will you always have those?
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think it's ingrained, ingrained in me.
0: Oh, I think so too. Yeah. You, you can, you can sense it. And it, you know, it's, it's hugely useful. Um, How did you, n- not intending to ever leave Australia, how come you did? Tell us about that moment that day, how it happened, where you landed, how many dollars you had in your pocket, <laughs> uh, whose floor you slept on first. Tell us that because people love this stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, it was after, you know, just completing my PhD where I was literally blown away. I was like, far out. The gut really is the answer to people's health and happiness. Like there is just so much potential in there. I know you laugh about it, but honestly, <laughs> no, Chris, I love it. the not, research like, coming because I
0: love it. I love your passion for it. It's brilliant.
1: The research coming out literally is showing that this inner community of microbes can transform our health and happiness. So much of the unnecessary suffering is because we didn't understand them, that we're not nurturing them and all that sort of stuff. So I discovered that and I was just like, gosh, I, you know, this is something I want to dedicate the rest of my career to. So how can I do the best in this area? Um, so I spoke to my supervisor and she was like, you know what, I went over to London um, and worked at, at King's and it was a brilliant opportunity. So I thought, actually, maybe, maybe I will go overseas. Literally didn't didn't think much of it, didn't really know much about London. Didn't like I, you know, hadn't really gone overseas before then. So I, I thought, hey, you know, why not? So I applied for different jobs, not just in London, but all over the world at like kind of key research areas. So, you know, looked around who was doing the most, you know, interesting gut health research. And I was very fortunate to get a job at King's, so as a as a postdoc. So I moved over, um, and my mum, bless her, like so protective of me. She put me in a university dorm, even though I was not a student. Um, so she paid for that for like the eight weeks, and was like, "That should be enough time for you to like try find some friends and move in with them." Um, so it was it was quite weird moving over here with you know my my life in a suitcase. Yeah, I wouldn't say, I'm not going to say that I was, you know, had no money. I had to like, you know, steal food or beg for money. Um, but yeah, I obviously didn't have much. And yeah, so the eight weeks kind of lived in this, these Where? dorms. Where did you land? Um, in Battersea. Lovely. Yeah. So it it was a good area, and that's where, like, all of the, um, you know, a lot of, like, Australians and stuff, uh, you know, live over there. So when I came over – Why did
0: they end up going there? Because you're right, a lot of them go to Battersea, don't they?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's just like a thing, like, (laughs) with Clapham as well. Yeah. Um, Just one of those things, and I didn't even know that. It just happened to be that way. (laughs) So I knew, like, I had two friends of friends. I had their numbers. So I met up with – I met up with them, and they were kind of fun. But I just – I felt weird to – Ask if I could move in with them. So I just did the flatmate chair thing and I moved into this place, which was literally a nightmare. It was right near, it was Elephant and Castle, right near the train tracks. So every night I would be woken up. I had to have these white noise and earplugs in because I would be woken up by a stupid train. It was very traumatic for me. But anyway, um, yeah, so, but you know, my first year in London, I was only going to, I told my mum that I'd be back in a year. Um, It was amazing in terms of the research opportunities. We got some amazing grants from like um, the Medical Research Council and things like that, which, you know, a lot of people didn't think we'd ever get in terms of giving money to nutrition. It's always the drugs and the medicine. So it was mind-blowing that we were lucky enough to get those research grants. I'm like, I can't leave now. This is like we're really getting into it. Um, So... I, I thought oh, I might give it another couple of years, but then, you know, I'm so in love with research. I'll never leave the research world, but there's, there was a part of me that was like, I'm kind of, I'm just, there's just so much injustice in this freaking gut health world because I, I still saw patients in clinics. So I wanted to make sure I didn't lose touch with patients. So I saw pa- uh, people as a dietitian and a lot of my patients were coming and they were on really crazy diets, taking crazy supplements because they'd read that it was good for their gut health. And, and, you know, it was making their gut health even worse. And I thought, I can't just sit back in this, you know, research world and do all this amazing stuff. And, you know, and it wasn't just my research group, research groups all over the world doing amazing stuff, but it just wasn't being translated. And it was like these fraudulent companies force feeding, you know, all of this misinformation to the public that was just ruining people's relationship with the gut. So I don't, maybe it's the injustice, the frustration, all of that. I was like, I have to, I have to do something. So I just decided, what was it like 2017 to, you know, set up the gut health doctor on Instagram. And I am not a, a natural social media person. Like I didn't really do it personally, um, but I knew that I had to do something. And I thought, you know, if I get a few hundred followers, I'm going to be doing, you know, big things in terms of like a lot more than I was currently doing. And yeah, just over the the few years, I know I'm rambling. I don't know where we started with this. I love
0: it. This is a story. (laughs) We need to know your story before we hear your message. It's really important. The message, the story, they're they're not the
1: same thing. It's really.
0: So, so was it an instant hit, the Instagram?
1: No, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it's an instant hit, but um, it was certainly, in my mind, it was an instant hit. Like, I thought, oh my God, I've got like a thousand followers. This is mind blowing. And then. One of my um, food heroes, like, you know, growing up on the farm, looking at the the recipe, his recipe books started following me one day and I was like, oh my God, this, this is big. Like, this is showing me that everyone really is interested in gut health. Like people, I, I used to think, yeah, I know gut health is, you know, really amazing in in the science world, but because I wasn't going to offer a quick fix, you know, people wouldn't be that interested um but when yeah, it was Jamie Oliver, when he started following me, I was just like, Wow, you know, I can have such an impact. And then just through word of mouth, you know, going to every bloody festival in, the, in in London, you know, just talking to as many people about gut health and getting them enthused and excited about the research. Yeah, the community just grew. And um,
0: and Jamie was on the front page of the paper just this week talking about this very thing. You know, talking about sustainable meat and the, you know it, it has to have it has to have nutrients in it. The way it's brought up, the environment will change the 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 biochemistry of the particular beasts involved. Um, you know, he talked about plant based before, um, and it's so. important. And I think that you know, and you you can't preach, and it's a big mistake to become preachy about it. But you can enthuse about it, which is different. And you know, I can't believe it's for me. You know, no, and I know I know what a millionth about it compared to you, but for me, it's like it's like the first humans, right, crawling around, you know, um and then one of them quite secretly, you know, goes for a crawl in the forest one day and finds out they can walk, and then it's like this human being coming back, you know. You know, on two legs, having become a biped, right, and saying to this, "Look," and the others go, "Not interested." It's like, (laughs) why say no? You have to be interested because it's such a massive. I'm literally giving you. And it's the same thing with gut health. You know, it's so important. It's the inside out. It's so fixable. It's more powerful and sophisticated than anything we could invent. But our egos, or commerce, or business, or whatever it may be, you know, big, big food, big farm, big farming. They just. They just, they do or they don't want us to know about it. But, you know, I can't believe, and it's also, you can do it and it's all gorgeous and it's all good for you, you know. um... And not
1: sacrificing, it's tasty, yeah.
0: It's tasty, right, okay, now we're into it. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Now we're in now we've heard your story. Now we're into it. So um I'm gonna throw at you now what I consider to be, it doesn't matter, I could, I could be wrong, but in my opinion, uh, are the big five important uh pillars uh to our to our general well being, which are breathing, sleep, hydration, nutrition, and stress. Okay, let's just there that's it's arguable. That's my top five. Other people could have other top fives. Um so let let's go to let's let's describe, if you don't mind, the relationship and the benefits and the importance of Um, the gut when it comes to breathing, for example, and what, what affects proper breathing, you know, uh, uh, it, um informed breathing can have on the gut so let's let's have these super couple relationships let's yeah. talk about these so breathing and the gut
1: please. yeah i love that you've got those five pillars because literally the gut has been connected to each and every one of them so when we do like good deep belly breathing we've got two types of kind of nervous systems we've got the sympathetic which is kind of like the fight and flight really active super stressed which we need you know if we're you know doing a 100 meter race we need that activated um, but then we also have the parasympathetic nervous system which is like the rest and digest and that is when we really get the most you know efficient digestion system so when we are doing proper breathing, really slow, out through the nose, in through the mouth, all those sorts of like slow techniques, we're really activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And that really calms down the body and we decrease the sympathetic nervous system. So actually, the scientific studies have shown that people with things like irritable bowel syndrome, which affects like 10% of of the UK, um, actually can really benefit in terms of their gut symptoms, so things like decreased bloating, decreased uh, tummy pain, by actually doing proper breathing. Uh, so it's actually really impressive to you know to highlight that yeah breathing really can affect our gut in particularly gut symptoms, and even more interesting, there's new studies showing that proper breathing, so people who are more into the yoga lifestyle, actually have different types of gut bacteria, more diverse types of gut bacteria, which is associated with better overall health.
0: Yeah, because they'll probably eat better things and be more diverse in the diet as well. So if we, if we learn to breathe properly, what happens with that, the, the alkali, the acid, the oxygen, the carbon dioxide? Uh, what, what, does the, what, what is happening with the gut and that, those four inputs?
1: Yeah, so it would the in terms of the actual digestion system, yeah. I wouldn't say that the breathing is going to be, you know, changing the acid regulation. Right. Our body is amazing at tightly regulating our acid and particularly in our blood. But what it is doing is allowing more blood to get into our digestive system. So this enteric nervous system which really feeds and generates blood into the gut. So you know, for example, if you um, are going for a run, a lot of the blood actually draws away from your gut. Yep. And actually marathon runners do a bit of gut damage during, um, during a marathon run because actually their gut doesn't get that oxygen that's needed. Uh, so when we're doing the deep breathing, we're really infiltrating the gut with more of that oxygen, which allows, I guess, the proper digestion and the kind of movement of the nutrients that we get from our gut lining into our blood. So things like, you know, for eating meat, we can digest the amino acids, break down those proteins. The amino acids then get into our blood and then feed things like our cells.
0: Got it. Okay. Right. Sleep and the gut.
1: Yeah. So bidirectional, directional, actually. So we've, um, not we, other researchers have shown that two days of sleep deprivation, so around, you know, four or five hours of sleep, actually has a significant impact on decreasing the diversity of the gut bacteria independent of diets. So they've controlled the diet. They've actually put people in hospital settings. So they've actually been able to show that decrease in your sleep can affect your gut microbes. And how we think that works, it's still early days, but like the humans have the circadian rhythm, the body clock, our microbes also seem to have the circadian rhythm, so their own body clock. So by disturbing the human one, we're also disturbing the gut microbes' um, body clock. So that's one way. So lack of sleep can impact the diversity of our gut bacteria. And I should probably highlight the the importance of diversity essentially comes from the fact that each different individual microbe actually has different skills. And if you think of like, you know, a sporting team, you don't want just all forwards. You want diversity of skills you know, on that team, same within us, we want that diversity. And, you know, many analogies are Amazon rainforest, you know, we want that diversity of the different species to make sure it's really resilient. And the same goes for our gut. So the ultimate of gut health is having a diverse range of gut microbes, essentially.
0: Okay. Uh, hydration.
1: Hydration, so in terms of hydration, I wouldn't say there is a strong link with our gut microbes, um, but we just know for general overall health if you are dehydrated your you know your blood is not going to you know be as let me do that yeah yeah, I don't know that one's not
0: why don't we talk about hydration and
1: um, the oh I know I know a good angle okay come. So in terms of hydration... the bacteria aren't necessarily directly affected by the hydration. However, indirectly, it absolutely can because if we are dehydrated, our gut or the food is not pumping through that nine metre digestive tract. So that's the tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit, nine metres long. And if we're dehydrated, the food's not pumping through as efficiently. And the research has shown that if you've kind of got a slow transit, so the food's kind of slower in your gut, then actually that can have negative impacts on your gut microbes because what can happen is the microbes start to over-ferment some of the food that's in the intestines. We usually would flush out, you know, in 48 hours, but if it's kind of in there for, you know, four or so days, the microbes over-ferment it and start to produce some chemicals, which we think are linked with, you know, colon cancer, et cetera. So hydration for our bowels is really important and that indirectly can affect our gut microbes.
0: So keep the river flowing. Uh, Don't let it run dry. Uh, Nutrition. Obviously, This is massive. I mean, yeah. it's, it's as long you could talk probably for what three, four weeks on this.
1: Absolutely, okay. and I think you know we think back to when I studied nutrition and dietetics, like you know a decade ago. What we were taught is that food impacted our health via human metabolism. That was the mechanism. That was the science behind it. But we now understand that actually there is another mechanism to how food impacts health, and that is through the microbial metabolism. So food is not just about feeding human cells. Food really is about feeding those trillions of microbes. They are 100% reliant on what we feed them. So if we feed them absolute crap, then they're not going to be very healthy and happy and in turn they get a bit angry.
0: I love this bit. This bit really free- It doesn't freak me out anymore, but the first time I heard it did. Because we are feeding ourselves for two zoos. Right. One is our zoo and the other one is the guest zoo. Yeah. And the guest zoo is full of bacteria um, that isn't part of us, but it still wants feeding. Otherwise, it's going to get grumbly and then it's going to have a riot. And unfortunately, it's in our tummy that it's going to have the riot.
1: Yeah. And we we do not want that to happen. To we so... really don't. I don't. And, like, I think it's important for people to, you know, a lot of people hear things like we need to eat more dietary fibre. You know, in the UK we're having less than 20 grams. Recommendations is like 30 grams, but, you know, the research suggests 50 grams a day of fibre is really beneficial for us for our mental health as well. And the thing with fibre, it's like the backbone of all our plant-based foods like our whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, fruit, veg, et cetera, is that humans can't digest fibre. So humans have no purpose for it essentially. So it travels through this
0: is massive news, isn't it? Yeah. It's huge breaking news. Because it all the message ends up the same, but it's not for the reasons that we think.
1: I know. Yeah. So we travels through most of our digestive tract, that nine meter digestive tract, undigested, like malabsorbed. It gets into the lower one point five meters of our digestive tract, where we have those trillions of microbes. And those microbes then start to ferment it. When they ferment it, they produce beneficial chemicals, things we call like short-chain fatty acids, and it's those that are, get into our bloodstream and are thought to do things like communicate with our brain, you know, reduce our blood sugar regulation, um, you know, protect our liver, protect our kidneys and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, like you've said, we, we know fiber is good for us, but I've found in, in, you know, in clinic and on social media that once people understand more of the why and the how, they get on board with it. Like if you just say to someone, eat more fiber, they're like, no, I don't, I don't really want to. But if you say, well, you know what, the fiber actually nourishes this inner community of microbes that in turn will then make you happier, you know, prevent all this unnecessary suffering from, from gut issues, as well as, you know, mental health issues and, you know, type two diabetes and all those sorts of things. Then people go, oh, okay. And you know, a good example is like when people are pregnant, they, you know, start to change their diet and they think, oh, gee, I shouldn't have this because I'm looking after a baby. Actually, we should always all be thinking that sort of stuff. Like we've got this thing inside of us that we should be nourishing.
0: Good. Uh (laughs) No, the fiber thing is really interesting because I didn't know that it wasn't for us. It was for for the little um, antibiotic microbes. The the other thing... Sorry, bacteria, bacterial microbes.
1: Yeah. The other thing on that point is, you know how red wine, dark chocolate, all those sorts of things we know have some sort of health benefit. They are attributed mostly to or thanks to our gut bacteria because they contain these things called polyphenols. And polyphenols, again, 90% of them can't be digested by humans. So they get into the lower part of the intestine where the bacteria then ferment it, allowing them to be absorbed by our body. So if we didn't have these microbes, then things like the dark chocolate and red wine would have no health benefits for they, us.
0: And they do. They actually do.
1: They do, indeed. Up, up
0: to a point.
1: <laughs> yeah, small.
0: Let's talk about the gut and stress because this is hugely important. I mean, it's all it's all really important, but but stress is a flipping nightmare. There's more about there's more of it about now than ever before in the history of our species. So the relationship between stress and the gut and then gut back to stress.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chris, I just thought we've been talking about these microbes for a long time. People probably think what are microbes? So the, the main microbe in our gut, the trillions that are there are mostly bacteria, but actually we have things like fungi, you know, viruses, parasites, which historically we've been told to be fearful of, but actually synergistically work to look after us. And I think that's a really important point. Most of the research is focused on the bacteria part, but actually some studies are suggesting that people who don't have specific parasites may actually be more likely to get things like, you know, inflammatory bowel disease and all those sorts of things. So There is so much yet to understand, but... I think that, that was an important point to bring in there. But in terms of, yeah, stress in the gut, that comes back down to the the benefits of the breathing. So the parasympathetic nervous system versus sympathetic nervous system. So we know that stress elevates that um, sympathetic nervous system, which essentially draws all the blood away from our gut, which means we don't get proper digestion. Uh, we don't extract all that nutrition out of the food and the gut bacteria are pretty unhappy because they're just being constantly bombarded.
0: All right, so let's, let's throw in a curveball here. Uh, the importance of chewing. Because you, when you chew certain kinds of food, especially whole food, uh, plant-based, um, then different things, you get different nutrients from the food. And yep. if it's processed beforehand or it's liquidized beforehand, you don't get as much. And if you swallow without chewing enough, you don't get as much either. So what happens when we chew the right food for the right amount of time? What What are the benefits of that?
1: Yeah, so I think... We all know when we chew food, it breaks it down smaller, but we don't realize that we actually have enzymes in our saliva that start to chemically break it down. And a fun trick um, to do at home is if you get some white bread, leave it in your mouth until it starts to dissolve and it'll actually start to turn sweet. And that's because our enzymes are breaking down that complex carbohydrate, the starch, into simple sugars like the glucose. We start to taste that. So that's a really good example that we have chemicals, enzymes in our saliva that are breaking down the, the food. So there's been great studies to highlight that if we're only chewing our food, for example, 10 times, we get a lot of malabsorption. So the study actually measured people's poop samples and gave them, it was nuts in this scenario, they chewed it 10 times and they collected their poop sample and found that there was so much malabsorption in terms of not getting at all those beneficial fatty acids, not getting out all those beneficial fibres, and different micronutrients. However, they then repeated the test and got them to chew the nuts 40 times and found that all of that nutritional, the vast majority of it, when they t- tested their poop samples was missing. So it was absorbed by our body. So chewing is such an underrated, uh, important thing that I think in today's you know busy stressful life we're not doing enough. So we really need to focus on chewing. Yeah,
0: and it's not just digestion, is it? Because you can increase the nutrient value of something by chewing it more because that's the saliva.
1: Was it le- leptins? Is it leptins or lipids? Or? No, no. The leptins would be in our in our stomach. It's what?
0: Well, sal- doesn't saliva cause a, cause a, a um uh, reaction with certain foods that increases the nutritional well factor of certain things I would
1: say it 's more of the the breaking down, but we also have bacteria in our in our saliva, which actually helps to break down some of the food. so it turns things like the nitrates we get from beetroot and actually helps convert that um which in turn can help things like lower our, bro- our blood pressure. So it wouldn't necessarily, it's the saliva and the enzymes, it's other mechanisms at play.
0: Okay, all right. Okay, so so that's, um, I would say that's act one of what we're talking about. Right, where do we go next? Well, I think what we're going to talk about next is, there's a lot of talk about the microbiome now. You know, um, the people I... I love listening to you most and i seem to to follow most and i'm inspired by both most are talking about the microbiome not just of the human being but of the planet you know our microbiome what do they mean when they talk about microbiome from a planetary point of view, from a personal point of view, from a collective point of view? They're talking about the, micro- the microbiome is the key to everything. It's the key to climate change. It's the key to uh, sustainable uh, farming. It's the key to good decision making. What the heck is the microbiome?
1: Yeah. So there's two different words here. The microbiota is like the community of the actual organisms, like actually the bacteria. And then we have the microbiome, which means it's just the genetics, like the skills, the things they can do. So often people use them, you know, interchangeably. But essentially, it's just community of microorganisms. So we've got a gut microbiota. We've got the environment or the sea microbiota. We've got, you know, armpit microbiota. We've got the skin microbiota. So there's all these different communities. And each one contains a different collection of of synergistic microorganisms, including things like the viruses, the parasites, the fungi, uh, and obviously the bacteria, which work together. And they, you know, synergistically work together by relying on each other for things like digestion. So, you know, well, some microbes they actually can't digest, you know, a nut. They need their friend bacteria to start digesting the nuts. So then that will produce a chemical which will then feed the other friend bacteria. So it's all very you know, synergistic in terms of how they work. So if you wipe out you know, the front man who starts to break down that nut, then actually this other bacteria dies off because it can't get that next layer. So it all works together.
0: So it's a community and, you know, how the, the better your microbiota is, the better the overall microbiome is, you can start to do things like make better decisions and have a happier life. So, so can you bridge that for us?
1: Yeah. So I think the strongest way to highlight this is a clinical trial. Um, and I've actually shared this one with you before called the SMILES trial. In terms of the connection with feeding our gut bacteria and our mental health. So what they did is they took a group of people uh, who had moderate to severe depression. Half of them got this gut boosting diet, which delivered 50 grams of fiber per day. The other group got a um, befriending type of counselling session just to make sure any benefit in the diet group wasn't because they were seeing the research dietitian. So they followed that for 12 weeks. They came back and what they found, they reassessed their mental health using these validated questionnaires. Those in the the gut-boosting diet group, 32% of them had a significant improvement in their depression scores which would classified them as no longer clinically depressed. In the placebo, the befriending type of counselling group, that was only 8%. So mechanistically, I think that is so strong to show that indeed feeding and nourishing our gut bacteria can improve our mental health. And there's thought to be like three different pathways which these microbes, which obviously are very distant part to the skull, can communicate. And one of, like I said, is those short-chain fatty acids, so the the chemicals the microbes produce when they eat fibre. So I like to think of that kind of like snail mail. So the bacteria produce the chemicals, they get into our blood system, it posts up and gets into our brain. The second mechanism is via that vagus nerve, so where the microbes activate this kind of electric signal, a mobile phone you might want to think of it, up the back the vagus nerve into the brain activates it there. And the third one is via the immune system, um, which you can think of like an alarm system where the microbes activate the immune system, which importantly, 70% of our immune system actually lives within our gut. So our microbes and our immune system are so interconnected and I'm sure we, you know, we'll touch on that. Um, so the microbes can make the immune system, produce you know inflammatory markers and things like that, again, which can set off alarm systems. So there's those three ways which we think these microbes very distant from the brain, can actually communicate with our brain. Um, And, you know, there's other studies, uh, psychobiotics is coming out, you know, which is specific probiotics, which are thought to have a benefit for mental health. And, you know, the papers are suggesting that particularly people with worse depression you know there may be some probiotics that can have a significant improvement on their depression scores but that is very much early stage research so i wouldn't recommend um that you know people go oh i want to improve my mental health i'm just going to take a probiotic we need to be very specific about the probiotics but i think that's a really great way to Highlight where we're heading, and some of these probiotic studies have actually scanned people's brains pre and post post taking the probiotic compared to taking a fake probiotic, a placebo, and showed it's actually changed some of the activation and parts of their brain um, that are associated with, like, you know, negative emotions.
0: Right, let's get into it then, let's get into um if you like act 3 so um what can people do today how do they begin how does this journey start it sounds it sounds scientific i don't think it sounds complicated it sounds sophisticated which is different um so um people listening they've never they've never been here before they're listening because they've heard of me or they don't like me or they love you or whatever um come on hook them in we, we we've sort of hooked them in we've got them on the hook how, how do you reel them in
1: yeah so it's not about restriction. I think that's the number one thing that sends people running when they hear about, oh, gut health, oh, diet. Ugh. My number one tip that can be the most I guess, biggest bang for your buck is diversifying your diet, trying to get in as many different types of plants in your diet as you possibly can. So I'm not going to say you can't have your fry up. Absolutely have your fry up, but add a teaspoon of mixed seeds on the side and also, you know, some mixed beans and some tomatoes.
0: Simple as that
1: adding extra bits in, adding extra plants in. Yeah. You know, instead of getting the steamed broccoli, get the steam multi-pack of veg, get more diversity, You feed more of that community.
0: See, that's going to kill people who, you know, they've been eating broccoli because broccoli is very, very good for you, isn't it? And you're saying, well, you know, broccoli is good for you, but you can always do better. I mean, that's a big deal.
1: It's just switching the packet. No extra cost, no extra effort, no extra... You know, stress, it's literally just about changing our mindset, knowing that, like humans, we all have different taste preferences. Right. Same with our microbes. Some microbes love broccoli, but actually, some probably (laughs) prefer peppers and some maybe cabbage. So, if we're just feeding ourselves broccoli, we're only getting that minority. So it's about mixing it up, and the best thing about diversity is it makes things taste better. Yeah, you know more flavors, more crunch.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's so funny, isn't it? Because it's like going to the gym. You, you know, you, your muscles get used to something, and then you've got to go in and disrupt. You have to be a disruptor. And um, you reckon is it thirty? To, if you can plant, if you can count thirty to forty different plant-based products. Products. Not products.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm to limit We're trying
0: from products. Um, But if you could name 30 to 40 of those different things on your plate or in your cupboards, you know, on a weekly basis, you're doing all right. But that's quite difficult to, to achieve when you it start writing like them it. down.
1: It sounds like it, Chris. But if you think about, you get a, you know, uh, a packet of mixed seeds, you get four points right there. Right. The st- Stir fry mix instead of the just the broccoli, you get another you know four points there. Instead of the chickpeas, you get the four bean mix. Yeah, another three points. So There's actually so many ways you can very simply switch your diet to get in that diversity to nourish more of the diverse range of gut microbes. Yeah, I, so
0: I didn't mean hard to achieve. I meant if you look in, if most people look in their cupboards, that they, they will have far less than thirty to forty. Actually, I meant the opposite. But it, with a bit of imagination and a bit of care and attention, uh, you know, it, it's quite easy to achieve. Actually, actually <laughs>
1: It sounds difficult, but actually, in the real terms of the yeah. practicalities, it's really simple. It's just changing your mindset about things.
0: Yeah. And once, once your cupboards are full of that stuff, because my wife, see, I'm very fortunate because I'm married to this woman who has made this her life's mission you know, uh, for the benefit of herself and her family. And so our cupboards are, they're just full of so many different things. You know, and if you're peckish in the afternoon, there's a jar here and there's a jar there and you just stuff your hand and you just know it's going to be good for you, whether it's mixed nuts or it's raisins or it's cranberries or it's chia seeds or, 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 you know, it's just the fruit bowl or it's some fresh veg that we we get from the guy around the corner. And by the way, that's another way of doing it. So, so we've got, um, a local guy who sets up this um, organic food food shop, and he now does deliveries, which he sort of ha- was forced to do under lockdown. But now it's his biggest, the biggest part of his business. And one one handy hint uh, that we've discovered is we don't ask for anything. He we request a mixed box of veg, and he decides what that is, and it all arrives. It's like really Steady Cook. It's like then yeah. Ready Steady. You know, and we and it, it, he's, he there are between ten and twenty different veggies in there. Some we would never pick. Well, there you go. That's half the battle already. That can, and it's quite exciting. It's fun, isn't it? You can you can hear the gleam in my voice. It's like, oh my god, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, I am all on board I remember
0: these the boxes, first, yeah. our first ever cantaloupe <laughs> moment. You know,
1: especially with kids as well. Getting them on board early, yeah. getting them interested in, oh, what's this weird looking fruit? This is your fruit. You go and prepare it the way you want to mm. is really important. But also, you know, I don't want to put people off and thinking. God, well, you know, I've got a crazy busy schedule. I can't I can't spend hours in the kitchen. You don't need to. It's the simple switches. Once a month, bake, you know, a really diverse range of, you know, these sort of spread, which I'm sure we're talking about, like batch the crackers cooking, and stuff like that, batch baking, cooking, baking. literally, and the whole month you've just got heaps of snacks ready to go and yeah. much cheaper than if you, you know, relied on all these energy bars that you get from the shops.
0: Yeah, Okay. And um, so, so, you know, if you look at the rices and the pastas and the potatoes and things like that, so things that usually beef up a meal, so give us some diversity there that we can fill our cupboards with so we don't have to think about it. You know, you, you spend 20 minutes thinking about it before you go shopping and then for the next week or month you're done.
1: Yeah. So there's actually, if you look at the supermarket shelves, there's some really great products there that have like five and even one pack had like seven different types of grains and I'm not sure if we can name specific supermarkets yeah, yeah, like want, Tesco, they had seven different grains in this one pack and you just put it, you boil it for 10 minutes and it's ready. You know, if you you don't have the 10 minutes on your hands, then there are other products out there which contain like four different types of mixed grains in it, in the microwave for a minute with a bit of olive oil and you're done. So it's literally about looking at the shelves and trying to get the ones with as many different diverse range of plants. Yeah, and, and then
0: le- and learning the language. And once you know the language, you, f- you become fluent easy, in it yeah. without realising. And that.
1: other things like I like highlighted that I'm certainly not anti-meat, but I am very pro-plant. So What I would say in terms of the evidence is we do definitely need to reduce the amount of animal products overall that we're eating. Not cut it out, but some simple things, particularly if your family are really not into it, is like if you're having a bolognese, you literally just cut out a third of the mints and add in a a can of lentils. Your family probably won't even know. My husband didn't know the first time I did that. Don't ever tell them
0: because the temptation then is to say a few weeks later, guess what we've been having for the last four, five years. But just don't go there. It's not worth the risk because they could rebel.
1: They could they could rebel. But I think if you can early stage teaching your kids yeah. to get experimental with food. You know, it can be hard if you, you're dealing with, you know, a wife or a husband who's in their 50s and they're kind of past the change period. Yeah. Um, but bringing kids along the, you know, the gut health, the in a little pet journey and nourishing it with different types of plant-based foods early is so important to set them up for, you know, a really healthy future. Well, you know... N-
0: Noah a second time around for me Noah is our oldest boy he's 11 he's completely plant based now um, but it was more of an effort for him and he, he's, he's like our shining light he's amazing it was less effort for Eli because he is younger and we were further down our own healthy journey by then and our twins who just turned two a couple of weeks ago you know they prefer vegetables to anything else you know they can't wait for vegetables because it's what they've been brought up on and they, they're already in love with the veg fruit and the veg to be yeah. honest that's what they go for first it's great we chop up a green pepper or red pepper or yellow pepper and they're, they're diving into the peppers and kids come round to our house that, uh, other families come round to our and they go your two-year-olds are eating raw vegetables yeah because they love them and by the way because they because they've not been in, infected by you know uh, had their palates you know drowned in salt and sugar and, and salt, sugar and oil basically it's SOS isn't it salt, oil and sugar they call it the SOS of yeah. the food world and they, they're, in, they're into these these gorgeous tastes that that, that, you know with them it seems like we pre-programmed them now for life I mean I, I wish with respect to my mum who who's no longer with us who, who was the best mum she could possibly have been but I wish she'd have been a bit more like that yeah. in fact
1: we, it's our responsibility, isn't yeah, it? yeah it's the education but also for the people listening to thinking oh well you know, crap, I, I'm past that. I hate vegetables. I'm, I can't go there. That's not true. You know, the science shows actually our, our taste buds regenerate every like 10 days. Mm. So if we slowly start to introduce more, we actually start to crave it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the big cereal companies have done this with us where over a, a period of like, you know, five or so years, they've taken out like 40 tonnes of sugar um, it's not sugar, salt in our breakfast cereals and we haven't even noticed because they've done it slow and gradual. Yeah,
0: because they knew they had to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the government's enforcing, which sometimes I think they need to They need to enforce these sorts of things. Otherwise, the food industry will run riot and, and they will continue to do so. Well,
0: let's talk Excuse about your me. products now. You're not on to talk about your products, but you've you dipped your toe into this particular water. So, for example, what do you have available? You know, consider this and nut if you like. For anybody listening, it's really not. <laughs> but what have you... T- you've taken some typical products and you've said these could be so much healthier, so much better, better for your gut and this is how i've done it so for example what might you have done concerning which particular items
1: yeah so you know a big passion of mine was yes education is super important but having convenient products are also good for your gut is you know the only way we're going to get the mass is to really change essentially so i had i, I thought i had some amazing opportunities with these big companies to be able to get into food industry but the more i spoke to the more i kind of realized that no, nope, they just wanted me to brand slap. And, you know, despite the amazing money they were going to throw at me, I just, I couldn't be that person. I couldn't be a hypocrite. I couldn't look at these people in the eye who gave me this opportunity and just say something's good for them when actually it was completely against the science. So, you know, that's when I listened to my mom and she's like, you know, if you want something done, do it yourself. So that's when I set up, I'm not sure, I won't name the company, but I set up, I set up Bio and Me. Um, So it's a, a gut health food brand. And we started, we've, you know, only a year old. So very much a small setup, but we started with um, gut-loving granola. And if you look at the different granolas on the supermarket, they're super high in the added sugars High in all this, un, you know, unnecessarily fats, um, and also don't contain the diversity. They might have like you know six or or seven different types of plant based ingredients. So what I've done is um, you know scoured all of the scientific evidence and created this recipe where it's got fifteen different types of plant based ingredients in it, and actually includes things like carrots. Um, some legumes, but actually you wouldn't know it by taste. We've taste tested it so many times to make sure that people didn't have to sacrifice on taste to get good gut health. So I've kind of developed this gut loving granola, which delivers like eight grams of fiber per bowl. And I actually specifically did the eight grams of fiber because I'm a bit of a nerd. And there was this amazing Review paper which came out from a really top journal highlighting that for every eight grams increase in fiber per day we, we eat on a population level, we decrease our risk of heart disease by 19%, decrease our risk of type 2 diabetes by 15%, and decrease our risk of um, colon cancer by 8%. And that's just from eight grams of fiber. So I wanted to do that in the bowl of granola. So if they are having, you know, cocoa pops, switch that in, you get your eight extra grams, not to mention all that diversity without the added sugar.
0: So so you, we're supported this podcast is supported by MS Plant Kitchen. So are you are you involved with them do do, do I need to put you together? Please.
1: No. So at the moment we're we're only in Waitrose um and you know the health food sort of like planet organic booths. But yeah, no, we were hoping to get into some other big supermarkets uh but then Covid happened and things have been pushed back. Plant
0: Kitchen yeah. is waiting if it's made for you.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm there are, if they ask you, me. you available?
0: I am very available. <laughs> would you care to dance? I will, I will
1: dance if I need to.
0: <laughs> what else you got going on? Tell Whatever us, it
1: takes. Tell us more. Yeah, so a few other things in terms of my goal, like I said at the start, was very much about educating. And I thought that, you know, doing the social media thing would be enough. But now I've seen just through the demand, it's about building the community. People want a safe incredible place to come to, to talk about, you know, their gut health, whether they've got gut issues or how to maximize it. Um, so the next stage, I can't share all the details, but it's about building that community with things like courses and and that sort of really hands on, you know, daily sort of reminders of little tips people can, you know, implement in their lives to maximize their gut health. Um, but yeah, highlighting to people that I'm not going to slam all these unnecessary supplements in them because there are so many, invalid tests and supplements out there that do my head in and I'm so sick of the marketing kind of angle that they come at. Yep. So I just, I think, I, yeah, creating this community where people come and know that they're going to get the best evidence um, but very practical advice.
0: What's the number one daily um daily issue people have with their gut, would it be IBS or something like that? What? Let's, let's, let's choose the top three of those and let's give people some takeaways uh, today that might benefit them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of IBS, not to get into too much detail, but it's this hierarchy called functional gut disorders. So that means essentially there is no organic disease. You don't have inflammatory bowel disease. You don't have colon cancer. You don't have celiac disease. So structurally everything is normal, like a display home. But the functionality (laughs) is not right. You go open the fridge and the fridge isn't working. So the function isn't right. Right. Um, So these functional gut disorders, it's things like irritable bowel syndrome, but there's also things like functional bloating, functional constipation. So irritable bowel syndrome, you have to have tummy pain. And a lot of people I see in clinic don't have the tummy pain, but they have the bad bloating or the constipation. Um, So in terms of, I guess, this hierarchy of these functional gut disorders, the first thing, if people are having gut symptoms like constipation, bloating, really important to go to your doctor first go, or you know, call up your GP because there is you know, like half a million people in the UK living with undiagnosed celiac disease. And we know that you know, even trace amounts of having gluten in their diet, if you, if you have celiac disease, you know, can lead to things like infertility, um, stomach cancer, all that sort of stuff. So it's really important that you just get you know, the doctor's clearance to make sure it's a functional gut disorder. And then if it is, it's about looking at what type. And actually, that is why I wrote Eat Yourself Healthy is because it's gone through each of the different common symptoms. For example, constipation, there is a flow diagram in there where it helps people individualize their issue and the solution to it. Because for some people, yeah, it's having more hydration and some fiber, but actually other people, it's not any fiber, they need to have some fiber like psyllium husk. Then there's other um, clinical trials showing that having two kiwi of fruit a day can significantly improve constipation. So that will work for some people. Other people, um, they've shown actually it's not necessarily their diet. It's because of their toileting position. They're not sitting on the toilet appropriately. Really? Yeah. And they're not pushing. They're pushing from their chest, which actually... Closes up their pelvic floor. It's like singing from earth. the throat,
0: as opposed to from the diaphragm. Well,
1: you know what? It yeah, and it's not our fault. The Western toilet is just all wrong. Like we should be physiologically <laughs> I'm squatting. Astounded. I'm astounded. So they've made these sit-up toilets, which just don't make yeah, sense. I,
0: I knew the squatting thing, and also we're sitting on chairs now, which we shouldn't be, and we mm. should be standing more and all this kind of stuff. But but even sitting, so so we know the toilet, the Western toilets are rubbish, right? But we can sit on them better than we maybe can, we yes. we're not sitting on them.
1: Yeah. So you put something like a little. Box underneath, okay, so you nice need to, to this, elevate nice to this, right. You need to elevate your knees. knees. So you need to have like this 45 degrees instead of this 90 degrees, right? When you're previewing, so you need to kind of be can I do this action? Sure. You can you can watch me, no one else can see me, okay. something like this, right? So because you're 45 degrees, all oh,
0: right? Here. So you literally lean forward as, yeah. as, if, you, as if you're reading the paper,
1: yeah. or yeah, and you get the stool, so you're kind of up like that,
0: all right? Like that. So, so, but see, now we were told that if you adopt assume that position, then you're straining and you might have an issue, you know at the back end
1: no you shouldn't be straining though so you you do this bulge um technique with right. your stomach so in eat yourself healthy i have actually consulted this amazing <laughs> specialist so there's um a bowel training nurse nurses in the nhs who do amazing kind of work with people to retrain them so it's like this push bulge so you kind of push out and you cough you Kind of your most inner part of your garden. People listening to be like, "What is she talking no, about? Those no, diagrams?" Hang on,
0: let's start from the beginning, right? So we go into the loop, right? We, the, we yep. want it. We want to number. We, we suspect a number two is on the horizon. Yes. Yeah. So, so right. We open the door. What happens next?
1: Yes. So you put your little footstool underneath. So you've got the elevation of legs to start with. Okay.
0: Footstool. Yep. Got
1: it. And then you move forward to make sure there's this forty five degree right angle here. Okay. And then we look at the technique of of the pushing. So we don't want to push from our chest. Right. We want to push from the lower down. your
0: hands on the tummy so you can feel it? No.
1: So you, what you would do is do a little cough, go, <coughs> and you <the laughs> find your hips. So the, the part that kind of pushes in yeah. the most, and that is actually where you should be pushing <laughs> you down. You feel it here on the sides. Yeah. So wow. you push out with your stomach and then you push down like you're trying to push something out but from the lower part right. so that's that's the muscle you should be using not the upper chest right got it there is the the this recent bowel report came out from the NHS showing that 200,000 appointments GP appointments per week are about constipation and like over 200 people per day are admitted to hospital for constipation it costs the government like 160 plus th- million so preventable
0: yeah. So simply preventable. There are
1: so many strategies. But the thing is, it's individualized. So for some people, actually, they load up on fiber and that makes their constipation worse. Right. Which is why in the book I have that flow diagram so people can find which one, which evidence-based strategy is a right for them. So IBS
0: can be not enough, but it can also be too much.
1: Yes. There's four different types of IBS. Four? You, okay. Yes, so, got, we,
0: so we have constipation.
1: got constipation-predominant IBS,
0: diarrhea-predominant.
1: Right. Um, mixed, mm-hmm. where it kind of goes hard and soft, right. and then unspecified, where actually their poop doesn't change that much in terms of consistency. But it
0: just still hurts now yeah, and again.
1: Yeah, exactly. But how we diagnose um, the IBS, once we've ruled out things like celiac disease, if you have to have tummy pain at least one day a week yeah. and has to last for about six months and then that tummy pain needs to be associated with your poop in some way, right. whether it gets better or worse, and then how we diagnose a subtype, whether it's diarrhea constipation, is literally by reporting the types of poops people having over a seven-day period.
0: Okay. And do you have a footstool in your cubicle at home? I do. And what it's, – what, it's, it's like a – is it a box or is it a stool? I've just
1: bought it from um, – not eBay, Amazon. Just, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like five foot, pounds. Yeah, it's, it's a footstool. A, yeah, a, yeah.
0: Okay. So, so this is a stool to help you with – literally with your stools.
1: Exactly. This is
0: the stool stool. Yeah, it's a stool, oh, stool. My, back, back to stool. You just
1: created something. I love you it. You get into this business. <laughs> St-
0: the stool of life uh, <laughs> or something. Okay, so trapped wind, right? Mm. Trapped wind. How much is that to do with your guts? Can you do anything? Can you do any? If you, you know, you have that sort of searing, agonizing pain, you think, I know what this is, but this is going to last two to three to four to five to six hours. And I know I'm just going to have to wait and go through it. You can lie on your back. You can do some breathing exercises again. Um, you can do some pelvic floor stuff. Um, any tips there? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So trap wind is a biggie, particularly in people with, you know, these functional gut disorders. And, you know, one of the key ones is stress. So when we are stressed... Yeah. Um, because of the, the remember the two, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous yep. system, we've obviously got blood drawing away from our gut. So the gut kind of tenses up and it goes mm. like this. Yeah. And as a result, the gas, which actually the bacteria have produced when they ferment the fiber, which is a good thing, can get trapped in there. Um, so there are many strategies like the breathing really can help reverse that so get more blood into the gut to activate that parasympathetic nervous system so that is one strategy what,
0: what kind of breathing would we do for that
1: yeah so it would be in through your nose and you can do the box breathing yeah for four seconds hold, hold
0: for it four, four yeah and then four, out back five. through your nose okay yep so, in, so, so nose breathing nose breathing so not no mouth involved there just nose yeah. nose in inspire expire through, via the nose exactly okay yeah
1: and make sure what you're wearing is not your gym gear. So I think a lot of us you know because we like to have an active lifestyle, we go to brunch in our gym gear, all that sort of stuff. It's super tight, particularly females on our gut. Now that really physically traps our gut and that can create a lot of that tension and that can lead to things like the trapped wind. Right. So make sure you're having your baggy clothes on um, to get rid of it. A heat pack also is a good one because the heat applied to the stomach actually helps the blood innovate uh, the different parts of that nine metre digestive tract um, and can help relax because the blood draws into those parts. It can help re- relax that tension of that, of that um, gut lining, which in turn allows the gas to either pass through the back end or actually absorb it. So we absorb a lot of the gas the bacteria produce uh, into our blood and then we breathe it out. That's how the breath tests work.
0: Okay because that's interesting because often you hear gurgling i think it's called bob rigmy isn't it if you are yeah, bob yeah, rigmess yeah. uh, and you think well this this is going to go somewhere but it doesn't it doesn't seem to be travelling anywhere where we it, towards any chimney anywhere yeah and it's we not necessarily a bad thing
1: yeah it's it's kind of like this big cleaning movement that we get um in between meals, so usually um, 90 minutes in the fasted state, so after eating for 90 minutes, we get this big movement uh, that goes through and it kind of just cleans. It moves the food from the small intestine uh, and then puts it into the lower part of the intestine to kind of, you know, clean it essentially, like the big trucks that go through and clean it. God,
0: there's so many. I mean, we've been talking forever anyway, but there's so many more questions I just want to ask um, that are, that are come to me as you, as you speak, you know, your wisdom. So food to help us sleep because we're always told that you don't that the one thing you shouldn't do really before sleeping is eat anything but if you're going to eat something um that is that is going to be beneficial to getting you off at night. How long before you put your head on the pillow should you eat it, and what might that be? You just mentioned apples there, and melatonin. Yeah. So, with that, so could you eat apples to help you sleep?
1: Yeah. So, pistachio nuts are probably one of the highest oh, so foods good. with melatonin in it. Um. So, it, it is worth. People are struggling. But not, not in bed. Not in bed. <laughs> right. You need to brush your teeth. Um. And you know, you wouldn't have a heavy meal. I'd say, you know, have your last major meal maybe three or four hours before you go to bed. Particularly if you suffer with reflux. Right. We know that if you've got a lot of food in your stomach, it can pop open your esophageal sphincter, which allows acid to go up the wrong way, yeah. back up your food horrible, pipe. Horrible. You do not want that. Um, but so, yeah, So,
0: so to sleep, apples, pistachio nuts? This is pistachio gold. Yeah. What, what else helps us sleep?
1: So I would say any sorts of, um, you know, small amounts of these plant-based foods. They've got a range of different plant chemicals in it. So I certainly wouldn't go, okay, I just need to have this or that Um, because I think that comes down to like people thinking a food is a superfood when actually every food is super.
0: Okay like that. Okay, as we get older what's the most important what's the what's the biggest change in our gut as we get older? Enzymes is coming uh, d- to the forefront of my mind because I seem to get drunker quicker. Is that an enzyme thing? And if so, actually that's my question is that, how can I drink more still?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it might just be the case that you don't drink as frequently, Yay! so then your metabolism isn't Boo! more up to speed. Okay. Uh, that's why you're drink- getting drunk quicker. Um but in terms of, I guess, getting drunk quicker, there, there are studies to show that if you have, um, you know, sugar-free drinks, so just say it's, you know, a sugar-free Coke with your uh, rum, then that actually spikes your blood alcohol levels quicker than if you had it with um coke with actual sugar in it and that comes to like eating on an empty stomach so don't recommend doing that we don't want to have these really sharp spikes in our blood um, alcohol levels we also know that large amounts of alcohol can increase the the leakiness or the permeability of our gut in the short term so it's certainly nothing to you know freak out about because we know stress also increases the leakiness of our gut in the short term you know Long marathon runs. I mentioned that before. That also can uh, increase the the leakiness. So the leakiness just means if we think about nine meter digestive tract, it's kind of this big wall, um, and we've got these special kind of mechanisms that allows you know nutrients to go in. Um, so we digestion essentially. Allows the nutrients to get from our gut into our blood, um, but the walls then close straight up as yeah. soon as they've gotten what they want. So leakiness just means that the kind of the connectors are a little bit loose. So like a bouncer lets baddies in that they shouldn't. Yeah, um, and you, you know, talk
0: about that a lot, don't you? The yeah. bouncers at <laughs> the, the door of the, the gut. <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to you got to help the gatekeepers and keep out the baddies. Um, what about this? What about fasting? You talk about that too, don't you? The five yeah. twos and the sixteen eights and. Good or bad, or yeah, jury out, or what?
1: There's so many different types of, of fasting out there. Um, we certainly know that prolonged fasting probably isn't great for the gut in terms of if you're having like, you know, three or four days without food. This is mostly based on animal studies, which have shown that if you starve the microbes, so if you don't feed them anything, they in turn get hangry and they start to eat away at your mucus lining, so part of your gut wall. And that can increase things like the leakiness of the gut and inflammation. So that's the same though for people who are on a really low-fibre diet. You know, if you're not feeding them their favourite foods, then they'll get hangry. So I don't think that long fasts, in terms of gut health, are, are something that I would recommend doing, but in terms of more of the intermittent fasting, where people just shorten their eating hours, so maybe they only eat eight hours in the day. Um, you know, they start breakfast at you know ten, and then they stop eating. You do the math, Chris. What's um eight hours after that at six pm? They yeah, yeah. have the last meal. Um, and you know, for some people, that can be quite helpful for weight management and things like that. Um. In terms of, I guess, the the evidence, it's not suggesting that fasting, independent of the calories you intake, is having this extra benefit. There are some animal studies suggesting that fasting can have metabolic benefits, um, but in humans so far, we've seen that fasting just means you've got less opportunity to overeat and less calories, and that's usually most beneficial in people with like type 2 diabetes. So in my clinic, some people I do find that they do really well in terms of their health because they're not having as many calories and maybe they're over-consuming. But in terms of things like longevity, that's only in animal studies at the moment. There's no human studies to suggest that fasting, um, when you're eating the exact same calories as if you weren't fasting, will have a health benefit.
0: Okay. And there's the afternoon morning argument as well, isn't it to do with that? Yeah.
1: And, you know, there's there's some personalization around this and there has been some studies to suggest that actually eating in the morning may have a slightly better effect yeah. on your blood sugar regulation. However, if it means that you're going to have a crappy breakfast just because you have to eat like a croissant, and I say, no, just delay it until you're actually hungry. Sometimes we need to listen to our bodies yeah. rather than going, oh, the science showed me that I could metabolize this croissant slightly better, you know, at 8 o'clock than I would 11 o'clock. You know, you just need to be a human at the end of the day and, and listen to your body.
0: Yeah, you can overthink it. And there's this, th- this also that story about calories, you know, if you calories in the afternoon sometimes, depending on various, where <laughs> the stars that are aligning that particular day, can sometimes count double to the calories in the
1: morning. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's that extreme at all, right. but I think calories is a whole other topic that's important that we touch on because, you know, with the government recommendations around, you know, counting calories, I think it can be quite dangerous. So, you know, a Mars bar and a banana have the exact same number of calories in it. So if we're fixating on calories, we go, hell yeah, I'm having the Mars bar. But actually, we don't realize that the Mars bar has got, you know, no fiber in it. The, the banana's got, you know, all this potassium, all these phytochemicals, yeah. the fibers, all this good stuff. Yeah.
0: And chimpanzees, which are re- and chimpanzees look, you know, they're pretty. Poor. They're
1: happy, are yeah, they? They don't they're eat so Mars happy. bars. The
0: last time I looked, they weren't eating Mars bars. Or oh, the reason I started laughing then is because one of my favorite things in the world is a banana with a Mars bar in <laughs> the middle of it on the barbecue. Best of both worlds. Hey.
1: I've never tried that. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? Oh, of course it is. Is that a British thing? That's yeah. a bit. That's a bit weird, isn't
0: yeah, it? I heard it came from Australia, but obviously that's not
1: true. No, that is not true. That's not true. I will not claim that one.
0: No, don't. Whatever you do. Now you brought some amazing things in today. You always do this. It's not the only reason I invite you. at all but it's 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 no disadvantage let me say so what have you brought in today and all these recipes are in your book aren't they
1: yes yes so we've got um the smoky beans so again this just highlights the concept of diversity so instead of just having one handy snacks handy snacks yeah um we we add in you know a range of different legumes and again it doesn't cost anymore you just use a different you know, can of beans. So, if you don't like spice, oh. don't necessarily eat that one. No, it, I, I do, I did over spice it. What's in there? So, it's got four different types of legumes oh in God, it the beans. Gorgeous. It's got the spinach, it's got the sun dried tomatoes, the olives, the garlic. It's um, so tasty. And the thing with this is, yeah. I literally make it once a month. So, you think I make it for you every time I come? I don't. I make it once a month and I bulk um, store it up. So, this is just a frosted you got my <laughs> name on the jar. Chris. <laughs> uh, I have got fuck. I want to eat that with my hands. Yeah, like yeah it. no, it's probably, yeah. probably later. But
0: that, I mean, I've just had some. Sorry, forgive me, with my hands gorgeous. By the way, baked beans, all right. Tin baked beans we don't mind, do
1: we? You know, I think... It depends where you're starting. So, obviously, this is the ultimate of of baked beans because it's got double the fiber of a can of baked beans plus the diversity. But a can of baked beans, you know, that contains like eight grams of fiber, which, you know, is really good for your gut bacteria. So, you know, if you're not having baked beans, adding them in is a plus. And it's just that if you're having baked beans, maybe you want to start considering once a month to make your own to get that diversity. I
0: mean, it is tough to beat. you know, there's a very well-known, obviously, a very well-known brand of baked beans that... Uh, people don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out. But we had some ba- we had some homemade. Oh, this is so good! Oh, it's so nice. That's so nice. I mean, that's freezing cold as well. I know. And that's oh, why, mate. Like.
1: It's probably still frozen in the centre. Nice They're to meant to over that. The
0: rest of my life. They're better than anything you can buy in a tin. This is what I want
1: people to realise: is that looking after you, eating these sorts of foods, is actually tastier. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I and mean,
0: again, you can eat so much without feeling full. In fact, there's a great argument, isn't there, for a lot of plant based food. You know, you can't get full because it would take you too long to eat that much food because there's not not that many calories in it, but it's full of nutrients.
1: It's full of nutrients, yeah, absolutely. Um, Pre baked chocolate bark. Um, So, this is something that I made during my PhD where I was like, Easter time, I love white chocolate, but it's solely selfish. It just feeds, you know, my taste buds, doesn't have any fiber in it. I did invent this recipe.
0: If you could get somebody. Marks and Spencers! If, listen, M&S, if you do this, your market cap will double overnight. This would be like Nike signing Michael Jordan. I'm not joking. Seriously. You'll have a Netflix eight-part documentary about you when M&S buy this.
1: So all I've done is added prebiotic foods in there. So you've got the pistachios, the dried mango. To really combine with that, so I'm not only feeding my taste buds, but also my gut bacteria, and it contains some extra virgin olive oil, which also good for the gut microbes. Okay, so
0: COVID
1: is going to carry on. There's no doubt
0: about
1: that. Ah, um, oh, very interesting COVID, isn't it?
0: Um, well, it's, it's 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 fascinating. It's interesting. It's horrible. You know, it's um, it's enlightening. Uh, Chris, I think
1: it's a bit of a it's really a wake up call to us humans that we're living in a microbial dominated world. You know, I think before COVID, people didn't really necessarily take these microorganisms seriously, but it's highlighting that actually they are incredibly powerful, even if they're invisible. So we not only have them, you know, swimming all around us, but obviously inside of us. And, you know, if we can take any silver lining away from this, I hope it makes people think, well, actually, gosh, if this is on the outside, on the inside, I've got them. I should be looking after them because boy, are they powerful and they absolutely want the best for me. I just need to nourish them and look after them, and they'll, you know, give me all the good stuff. But actually, if I neglect them and trash them, things aren't going to be great for me in the in the long run.
0: Okay, and it's very, very um, dangerous to generalise where anything's concerned, especially a uh, coronavirus. But there are there are patterns emerging to do with the immune system, the gut, um, your your micro. Um, biotic uh, uh, health that seem to su- seem to suggest that we are more resilient to think to to viruses that are bad for us if if we focus on eating the right things.
1: Absolutely. So again, like you've said, not to overclaim, but there is emerging research highlighting that um, people who get COVID, if they get, you know, worse gut symptoms, then they're more likely to get severely unwell with COVID. Similarly, people who are more severely unwell with COVID seem to be missing some key gut bacteria, which actually are high in people who eat these sorts of plant-based foods. And then more interestingly, just the other week, there was the first paper to show that a specific probiotic um, could help reduce People's risk of needing uh, respiratory support. So they gave the probiotic plus standard care, whether that was you know the immunosuppressants or whatever the doctors recommended. So it's that one group, and the other group just got the standard care, no probiotic. Uh, and what they found, those in the probiotic group had a, you know a much lower risk of of needing that respiratory support. So there is growing evidence to to highlight that absolutely our gut health is really important. And it makes sense given that, you know, 70% of the immune system lives within the gut. Yeah. And when we look at COVID in particular, it doesn't just get into our lungs. Um, we also know that it gets through our digestive tract. And that's why we we actually, a lot of researchers have found that there is COVID in people's poop, another reason to wash your hands. Um So yeah, it, it really is, is starting to you know, blow our minds. And we also know through things like the common cold that there is this gut lung axis. Um, so there is quite good evidence to show that a specific probiotic, and I say specific because the world of probiotics is so misunderstood. We can't just take any one off the shelf. Each different strain type of bacteria does different things. So you need to absolutely match the right strain to what you want the benefit for. And the whole body of evidence has shown, it was like, I think, 13 clinical trials that have shown that taking a specific probiotic um, can reduce your risk of getting the common cold. And if you did get the common cold compared to those who had the placebo, the fake intervention, it reduced your duration of the common cold uh, by two days.
0: I bet you were killer taking exams at school. Because you you sit there, and, you, and when you remember things, you start to smile, don't you? Because you think,
1: yeah, I'm like because I just find it so so interesting. So, uh, some some of those facts really stick in my brain because it's so powerful, and I just think everyone needs to know this. It Lights you up, doesn't yeah. it? When you
0: talk about you, you light up. I mean, you do anyway. You radiate excitement and you radiate enthusiasm, and, you know, and you, you now have the depth of knowledge to back all that up. But Eva, you you just surprised yourself then, I could see. Yeah. You, I, you went on to this, oh, so there's that, yeah. and it's just, you know, and that's when you know that somebody is really sort of being authentic. And-
1: but Chris, because I actually see it, like obviously the research is amazing, but I see it in clinical practice that it changes people's lives. Yeah. Like it is phenomenal and i think that's where i get so much of my passion from is seeing the effect um like magic
0: it's like magic it is like magic magic. there's there's
1: evidence for it
0: (laughs) there is evidence for it so two more things before we finish uh thank you for your time it is precious and it is priceless and you've been nice and generous to us yet again uh so the final two things there's a lot of talk about poop transplanting um it's a thing of the future it's already happening um It can be a lifesaver. It has been proven to save people's lives, to reverse um, certain otherwise fatal conditions. It is extremely dangerous as well in the wrong hands. And just speak to that for a moment, if you don't mind. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, poop transplants essentially is what it sounds like getting the poop from a healthy person and transplanting it to someone who's not healthy. So, um, for. You do that
0: route one? Yeah, route one.
1: Yeah. So, for the, the kind of life saving therapy that's. The only area at the moment where it's kind of clinically indicated to have a poop transplant is for um, a gut infection, so a very serious C. diff infection where if someone doesn't respond to antibiotics, this poop transplant has shown to have like 90% response rate. So it's hugely powerful, saves thousands of lives every year, and it's not a new therapy. But... Um, but I guess with the, our understanding of, of the microbiota over the couple of years, people are starting to go, well, actually, if that works for that, could we not transplant it in people with diabetes, depression, all the other things that we're starting to see have a role with the gut? Um, and I think one of the key things is, is to show that it does look promising. And most of the studies at the moment are still in animals, where we take the poop sample from a healthy person, put it in one identical animal, then we ha- take the poop sample from a unwell person, if it, even if it's Parkinson's disease, we put it into another identical animal, and show that the animal that gets the poop sample from someone, um, you know, with Parkinson's, actually develops Parkinson's symptoms. So we do see that it's transferable via poop samples versus the. the Animal that didn't get got the healthy person's poop sample, so we do know that a lot of these can be transferable. But we we know that we're more complex than, um, than animals, so we have to wait for the actual clinical trials to to prove this. And animal studies have shown that you can transplant things like depression. So all of these, you know, clinics that are quite a few of them in London. Offering fecal transplants at the moment are hugely dangerous because you don't know what your donor has. Yes, they have to declare, obviously, all the key things, but maybe they do have a family history of depression or they just don't want to report it or anxiety, you know, or things like dementia that hasn't, you know, affected them yet. You could essentially be, you know, maybe helping your inflammatory bowel disease, but giving yourself, you know, another condition. So I'm really, really passionate about, you know, putting a stop to these clinics that are currently running. Um, And in the research world, you know, there is amazing stuff being done, particularly in people with inflammatory bowel disease. And it looks really promising for one type of inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis. Um, And inflammatory bowel disease affects like one in every 200 people. We all know some with inflammatory bowel disease. We probably just don't know that they have it because it's like an invisible disease because, you know, you don't know what's happening inside someone's gut. Um, But it's quite a serious condition. And with ulcerative colitis, the clinical trials at the moment are suggesting that not every healthy donor is good, but there are these super donors. Um, and, you know, my research group really wants to have a look at whether these super donors have more of these plant-based foods and that's why they're a super donor and why their poop is extra helpful <laughs> in people with ulcerative colitis.
0: Uh, it's serious, but it's also funny. Um, and that, Sometimes that's allowed. Um, so can you make money being a super poop donor?
1: Well, you know, in the future, I think I think absolutely. I mean, I'll be putting my hand up. The next phase is obviously they're looking at um, putting these poop samples into capsules to kind of reduce the gross element that a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not doing that.
0: No, I think more pain, more gain. You've got to go through the… Yeah, well,
1: people with IBD absolutely would be like, hands up, I don't care what it takes because it's so debilitating. Well, you've
0: said, haven't you, in the past, and I've heard you say this, that um, there was was one survey done uh, where people who had really bad um, IBS, they said they would rather live 25% less years and not have IBS.
1: I'm so impressed you remember that stat. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, and
0: that's how debilitating it is and we, you've just got to, we've all got to bear this in mind haven't we because things chronic chronic and acute illnesses uh, you know unless you have them you have you, it is it is unimaginable uh, how 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 paralyzing they can be to your whole life.
1: It, it, oh yeah, like the stories that you hear people suffering in silence for twenty years. You know, and it's actually ruining ruining things like their relationship. Like they don't want to be with their partner because of their gut issues, but they go to their GP and they say, "Look, it's IBS. Don't worry about it." And that's one of the things that really inspires me. I want to help people get rid of all this unnecessary suffering. I think in the world there is just so much suffering that we can't control. You know, like if we lose a child or um, if we have an accident or house floods, all that sort of stuff we can't control. But actually there is some things like irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. There is good evidence to show we can help these people. They shouldn't be living in silence um, and, you know, just coping with it. So that's, you know, one of my key goals is to get the right information to the right people.
0: It's such a good point. Kevin Hart said something similar about staying fit because Kevin Hart had a really quite serious accident last year. And he injured his back, Uh, and he. But he is extremely fit, and what he realised from this accident was that the best reason to keep fit is for when you will need to be fit in the future. And the best thing, the best reason to look after your gut isn't to prevent things in a way. Isn't even though preventative, you know, uh, forearmed is forewarned, and and um, you know, if if you're ready for something, it's much better than if you're not. But just set yourself up because like you say, life is hard and brutal enough anyway. And so, so if you can do anything to load the bases, I talk about it at work all the time, load the bases of a show, you know, just give the show the best chance, A, of working, but even better than that, of, of not being able to fail. And, you know, you can do that for yourself
1: absolutely and that's what it's about empowering people that yeah we can't control a lot but we can control a lot of our health and happiness in terms of nourishing the body and the gut microbes and that's what the science is showing it's not hippy dippy it's legit
0: (laughs) right the world remains addicted to many things um coffee remains right up there um What's the effect of coffee on the gut? Um, and if people have to forsake a coffee, what can they have to fire up their, their energy? Tell us about energizing the gut and then energizing our very being.
1: You know what? Coffee has beneficial polyphenols in it, which feed the good gut bacteria. So having, you know, one or two coffees a day is not bad for your gut. It it feeds them some of their, you know, the key nutrients. However, a lot of people overdo it on the coffee and they have a double shot. And so what the the negative effects of that is actually the caffeine. So we know that caffeine absolutely increases our stress hormones. Right. Um, and, you know, for the average person, maybe they wouldn't notice that, but for people particularly with gut symptoms, that can cause even more right in their gut, you know, Give them more tummy pains, bloating, all that sort of mm. stuff. Um. So, for the average person, absolutely, I say having one or two, um, you know, single shot coffees a day is okay uh, for their gut. How would have it? may have even it? have a beneficial. Just as an espresso, a you know, I fil- I filtered coffee. I. It's fine if you add whatever sort of milk you want to. Right. I mean, you know, if you're trying to manage your weight. I wouldn't say having a big latte every day, because that's a lot of extra calories with probably not much um, extra, you know, gut loving nutrition. Um, But you know, if it's just a little bit, enjoy it, enjoy food. I think sometimes when we deprive ourselves, we then start to binge. Um, And then in terms of just general, you know, energy and health, literally you're looking at it like plant-based foods, Again, I'm not saying cut out animal foods, but adding this stuff in gives people the vitality. You get extra nutrition. You feel like you've got extra energy. Yeah. And you know what? it won't happen overnight. but what I say, slow and gradually do it and you know at baseline, you know fill out a bit of an energy assessment. and in the book I've got you know 10 different ass- health assessments, fill it in. Then start following these sorts of strategies for three months. Fill it in again and then have this, like, you know, quantitative assessment to show you and yourself how much better you feel. Because sometimes it's hard to reflect how crappy you felt back in the day. So it's good to have these sorts of like numbers to show, oh my God, yeah, I've increased my happiness points by like eight points. And yeah, actually, I do feel a lot more energized. And it reinforces why you're making this change.
0: I'm so glad you said that because um, it's been six months now with the old plant based thing. And People said to me, you will get more energy. You will, be, you will feel more stable. You will feel less anxious. And I was waiting for the moment, you know. And the moment didn't come. But six months, seven months in now, I can't tell you. I mean, we did a radio show this morning. I was up at half past three. We drove into London, parked up, cycled in, did the show, um, uh, had a, a couple of quick meetings with people. Then you came in. We're still here. We're still in the studio. It's now approaching midday. I feel like I've just arrived at work. So it has happened. I didn't. It makes me very emotional, actually. It's so weird. Um, a... so, so it has happened, but I don't know when it happened. But I have, you know, I don't have like su- super energy. I just have a lot more useful energy. In fact, it's not more energy. It's, it's less fatigue. And I think that's how it's manifested itself. I, you know, I don't feel like a good go old day today, but I feel, you know, I'm not running on fumes now. You know, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't disrespect you by inviting you in when you would get the, the the second best of me. But I feel as good now as I did at six o'clock this morning. And that's...
1: I feel like I'm getting the best of you right now.
0: I do. do you, I do. do yeah, yeah, well, I feel the energy. And it's attention, isn't it? It's, it's focus. It's attention. It's concentration. D- uh, sorry, one more. You just did touch on lattes there. We haven't talked about dairy. Um, You know... You can, you can get so... I mean, there has been a milk revolution. 20 years ago, there's, there was a, a supermarket water revolution. There, then there was a pasta revolution. You know, pasta and, and water was never seen in the aisles of UK supermarkets, say, say pre, maybe pre-1985. Now they take up pretty much two by themselves. We are seeing the expansion of non-dairy-based milk products. Where do you sit on that?
1: So in terms of my view on dairy, now it is a major source of calcium and iodine um, for the population and they're really important. So I think when people are going plant-based, they need to make sure they aren't missing out some of the key nutrition. So absolutely, you can do it when you are plant-based, but you need to be careful that you are having things like, you know, plenty calcium, selenium, iodine, um, you know, choline, um, your, your zinc, um, your iron. So the key ones we get from animal foods, if you are switching over to 100% plant-based, you do need to be conscious about where you're getting them because we don't want you to get a nutrition deficiency. Um, so in terms of, I guess, the health benefits above those kind of micronutrient effects of dairy, I would say the health benefits of dairy seem to be quite neutral. Okay. Um, however, fermented dairy, there is good evidence to show that fermented dairy can have benefits on things like weight management, um, and heart health. So I'm very pro fermented dairy, like, you know, live yogurt, um, things like dairy kefir, um, you know, quality cheeses. I am pro that, um, in terms of the health effects. Now I understand some people for cultural, religious animal cruelty reasons, you know, want to go 100% plant-based. And I completely respect that as well. But we need to be careful that we aren't replacing some of these plant-based foods with foods which contain extra additives in it. So, um, you know, a lot of plant-based f- foods now, like, you know, the veggie burgers, a lot of even like the, the soy and oat milks have got a lot of added additives in it. And, you know, there is like 400 different types of additives that have been generally regarded as safe, so they're called grass. Um, But with our new understanding of our gut microbes, a lot of these additives are now undertaking a re-evaluation by the European Food Safety Authority because we're wanting to have a look. And actually, are they impacting not human metabolism, because they've checked that, but actually the bacteria metabolism. And actually, my research group at King's is looking at specific um, food additives, and it's suggested based on animal studies and why we're looking at it in a clinical trial in humans is it may have a negative impact on some people's gut health, uh, specific additives. So I think we need to be careful that we're not, you know, cutting out, um, you know, foods that we've relied on to have more processed foods just to meet a diet label.
0: Okay, because we started our non-dairy meal journey, I think, as most people do with almond and oat milk, and now we've ended up at rice milk. Um, that's where we are at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's fine. I'd make sure it was calcium fortified. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that one's really important. Um, and usually the B12 fortified as well, yeah. but check it doesn't have, you know, the additive, uh, component as well. Are you still on the dairy? I am mostly fermented dairy. Uh, so in my, you know, my coffee, morning coffee, I actually have oat because I just, I like the taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would never say I would have a big glass of milk, but you know, if I'm, out for dinner at someone's house and it's got milk in it, I'm not going to yeah, pass it up. I'm the same. I don't grab for it.
0: Any other dietary changes recently that you want to talk about? For any specific reason?
1: No, I would say that... <laughs> <laughs> He's hilarious. <laughs> I'd say Don't I'm going to I was joking. Yeah, I know. I know you were way over my head oh. for at least five seconds.
0: <laughs> you were in the zone. That's the funny <laughs> thing, lies, isn't I it? Was. When you're in the zone, sometimes you <laughs> said suddenly goes out the door. All uh, right, um, Doctor Megan Rossi, the Goat health doctor, eat yourself healthy has been out for a while now. It's one of those books that will sell forever. Um, and your website, which is very important, but how direct people to that, please, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, com.
0: Okay, there's a little exercise on there, a little questionnaire you can fill in. And if people really want to, you know, if they, if they want to go to town and treat themselves, can they come for a consultation? Does,
1: yeah, I- they can. So we've actually got a team of um, seven gut specialist dietitians in London, but do online consultations.
0: All right. You're amazing. Good luck with Thanks, everything. Chris. That was Dr. Megan Rossi who knows a thing or two about the gut, don't she? Of course she do. Now I want to get her hooked up with my friends at M&S Plant Kitchen because I know that her granola, which is really good for you, should be on their shelves. I don't think it's something that's going to take much pushing and shoving either way. It is a match made in heaven, as is your mouth and their current 100 plus products including the Plant Kitchen Nutty Super Whole Foods Salad Just £3.30, the Plant Kitchen vegan coleslaw £1.75 plant kitchen vegan mallows we haven't mentioned the mallows in any other podcast the kids favourite Eli hid these vegan mallows in our confectionery cupboard just so he could pretend to find them like somebody else had hidden them in the first place he's a crazy guy but some things that are so desirable send kids cookie crazy and they don't have to be cookies they can be M&S Plant Kitchen's vegan marshmallows from £1.50 over a year in the making and indistinguishable from traditional marshmallows. That's true. Perfect for baking hot chocolates, s'mores or straight out of the bag. Exclamation mark. Thank you M&S Plant Kitchen. Please rate and subscribe. See you next time.